So you hear it. They just sang it. So who is he? You can shout it if you want to. Who is he? Who is Christ? Who is this one we worship? The Messiah, yes. The Messiah. They gave you like three or four. Yes, miracle worker. Promise keeper. Waymaker. Amen. Today, as we dig into the the book of Philippians, when I start speaking about Philippians, you don't typically think of Christmas. But I want us to look at the mystery of Christmas. And last week, last week was deep theology, a little confusing. But the truth we need to remember from last week, the truth we need to remember, God's nature can be mysterious, right? We don't have to understand everything in order to believe it because His ways are above our ways. He is one God in three persons, holy above us, yet He's near to us, powerful, He's patient, sovereign and free. He's both wrathful and merciful. He's just and forgiving, altogether great and good. And so God's nature can be mysterious. Man's responsibility can't be ignored. Unbelievers, we recognize, unbelievers will recognize their sin and receive God's mercy. And believers Guys, we worship God humbly, walk with God purely, and trust God wholeheartedly. And then, truths we remember, review from last week is that God's Word can be trusted. God's Word can be trusted to drive our theology, even when it's tough to understand, even when it's hard to grasp, we trust Him. His Word can be trusted to drive our theology, to even lead our faith family, His Word can be trusted. Remember last week, even when we talk about various beliefs that are, you know, that people will bicker about and argue about and take sides on, we will stick with the Word and let, let people argue and question and all of that. We're going to look at the Word and go from there. And so, the truths we need to remember. And so with that as the basis for where we are, would you find Philippians chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2, one of the great Christological passages in the Bible. And in theology class, this was huge. Because this is one of the passages where we learn who is Christ. Theologically, who is Christ? And and so, if you would, I'm going to read verses 5 through 11. And so, if you would, with your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, would you stand, please, as we read the word? 
an enormous passage of Scripture in our faith and poured it to us. So the Bible says, Philippians 2, verse 5 and following, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Tremendous passage. Let's pray. God, as we dig into this passage, I pray that you would take me out and fill me with you. And Lord, that what we get today from your word is you. Nothing that is going to burn up in the fire. But Lord, only that which is lasting. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us and lead us, encourage us. Whatever it is in your heart, in your will to do today. I pray that that's what would happen. And God, we will glorify you for it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So we looked at the truths we need to remember, but there is the question we need to ask. Important bottom line question as we look to Christmas, the question we need to ask, we must dare to ask, who is Jesus? This question is vital to how you deal with life. It's a historic question asked throughout the New Testament, and, and truthfully, even in the Old Testament, it is an important question, an awesome question, but definitely a personal question, a personal question. So, the Bible answers the question, who is Jesus? But I can't answer this question, who is Jesus, for you. I can tell you the facts, I can tell you what I believe, but it is important for you to, to properly answer the question, who is Jesus? And when I am speaking to someone in normal everyday life that does not know Christ, and we get on the conversation of, of life, then I do my very best to drive the conversation to Jesus. And I ask this question often. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? Similar question. Who is Jesus? Because what are you going to do with Jesus? You have to do something with Jesus in this life. And it is a defining question for what goes forward. And if you are going to define Jesus as as not existent, or you're going to explain him away, or you're going to make him Lord, 
This defines your future. This defines your eternity. And so we'll get to that. But, but basically, who you say Jesus is determines everything about how you live. It determines everything. And it, I mean, if you believe that God came down in the flesh... then that determines, it changes everything about how you read Scripture. Because once you believe this, everything else makes sense. If God came down in the flesh, then, then walking on water shouldn't be that big of an issue, right? Because He made it. He's God. He made the water. Feeding 5,000 people shouldn't be that hard to believe since he made the person. He made our stomachs. He knows how this works. And, I mean, he, he raised the dead. But the whole Corinthians chapter about, well, how can he raise people from the dead if indeed the dead aren't raised? And if the dead aren't raised, then we're in our sin still and we above all are to be most pitied if indeed the dead aren't raised but if he's God in the flesh what can he not do and so who is Jesus who you say Jesus is determines everything about how you live and so if Jesus is this little chubby baby in a trough, and that's it, well then, it might make sense to, to be confused of how he could raise the dead. But if he's God made flesh, as the Bible describes, it changes everything. The mystery of Christmas is not found primarily in the circumstances of the birth of Jesus, but in the identity of the baby in the manger. It is the Christ child. It is not necessarily the donkey or the sheep or the shack or the cave or whatever it was. It is the baby in the manger. Because this baby in the manger wasn't like any other baby this is God and so that's the question we need to ask but then the baby we need to see I hope for you that that Christmas is a big deal you know there's Christmas has exploded in my world y'all because my wife she's like Buddy the Elf <laughs> she is loving some Christmas and um I mean, I even like wash my hands with vanilla midnight Christmas or whatever, a different flavor every day. You know, you just make up a name by coming up with, with three Christmas words. Snowball Christmas flakes. I mean, whatever. You just come up with it. You can name one of those flavors of the soap. It is, it's tis the season. I did not want my hands to smell like tis the season the other day. 
And so I used Dawn Disc Detergent. But anyway, Christmas is the deal. But I, I hope that we don't get caught up in the flood of what our, our generation has made Christmas. It's kind of genius in a sinister way. Christmas is huge in our society, but at the same time, making it huge financially, making it huge in every way, yet at the same time stripping it of every theological means possible. You think about it. The biggest shopping day of the year, the biggest travel day of the year, the biggest this and the biggest that, it's huge. More vacation time is used for Christmas. I'll be home for Christmas is a big honking deal. Airfare goes up. Gas prices go up. People are off work. Everything slows down. Even our military slows down at Christmas, Pearl Harbor. But yet... Where's Jesus? It don't even say his name. If you buy your holiday tree, right? The baby is important. The baby in the manger is God. Verse 6. Who being in very nature God. The baby in the manger is God. Maybe in our nativity we need to shine a little more light on him, right? The baby in the manger is God. And so listen to him. Listen to Jesus and what he says about him. In John 10.30, he says that he is one with the Father. We see in Mark 2 that he has the power to, the authority to forgive sin and judge men. We see all of these things. Remember when he's healing the, the paralyzed guy and the the Pharisees are the vultures, you know, they're hanging around watching for him to do something so they can accuse him and kill him. And so he he tells the, the guy, your sins are forgiven. And they say, what? what? He's forgiven sins now? Is he God? And Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? Take up your bed and walk. He has the authority to forgive sin and to judge men. And so the, the religious elite get it. Jesus himself said it. And we see that he has power over nature, disease, and death. We see this wherever we go in Scripture. We see this, that you know, he walks on water. He has power over nature. He's snoozing in the boat and storm comes up. The, the disciples are freaking and he is snoozing. They wake him up and he just looks at the storm and says, Calm down. That's it. The other day the wind was blowing 
Now, we had just set up this nativity, and you know what that means, because, you know, the baby's in the manger, but he ain't really the baby Jesus, because he didn't tell the storm to calm, and so the storm blew it down on the ground. So all of the kings took a face plant. I've named them all, right? In our nativity, the kings have names. I have a good friend that's Matt King, and so one of them's named Matt, and one of them is named Mike because he's wise. And, you know, so that's how it goes at my house, right? And so we, we see this, that he has the power over nature, disease, and death. You know, he sent a fish to swallow a prophet. That's impressive. I mean, seriously. We can catch a fish. We can push a prophet in the ocean. But get the fish in the ocean to swallow the dude. And then not chew because that would kill him. And then give him indigestion in three days, barf him up on dry land. I mean, that's a big deal. He has power over nature. He has power over disease. When he tells disease to be gone it's gone it says yes sir out you know in death you know until God steps on the scene death was the end and then it's not because this baby in the manger has this power and so we listen to Jesus speak about himself but then listen to others when we learn, we listen to others, we see that he's the eternal creator of, of all things. Let it blow your mind that the baby in the manger in Bethlehem is the creator of the universe. Explain that to somebody who only understands linear thought that on the timeline of humanity he was before the timeline started right but then he comes into the scene and divides time between BC and AD but yet he was already here and so he started the world that he was born into so he could redeem the world that he created. He, John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is theology that will blow your Christmas-loving minds. So he is the creator of all things and he is the sovereign sustainer of all things just a few pages to the right in Colossians 1 verse 17 verse 16 following says for by him all things were created things in heaven on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
So not just did he make it, he made it continue. Like this world that we live in is a part of this universe that we know so little about. But if he were not holding it together, you think that the people around us freak out that the sky is falling and there's a meteor heading toward us and we don't know when it's coming or wow it's really close and not sure what we could do and God said come on guys come on I got this if I wanted it to hit the earth it's going to hit the earth if I wanted it to end it's going to end and you can hold your hands out or everybody blow in this general direction at once and it's going to do nothing he is the sovereign sustainer of all things. And and I guess as I say this, I think about the earth and big things, but he is also the sustainer of all things in your schedule, all things in your life. He keeps your children alive. He keeps you from spontaneously combusting, right? He is the sustainer of all things, big and small. And so we get to the point where we take these facts and then we're left to consider the options. And C.S. Lewis has put these into, into places that we can just deal with it. So the options are, is Jesus a legend? Just, you know, made up stories. Not legend like a really good football player of old. A legend is a fictional story. So is Jesus just a fictional character, a physical story that people told for entertainment or teaching purposes? I had a, a math teacher in high school, and you know me in math, so I already didn't like this person. But um, his... Oh gosh, y'all are going to get some into the depths of my past. So I was the class clown, except I was really shy, which is hilarious. But when I was, when somebody ticked me off, I had this mentality that I, I don't lose. I don't want to lose, ever. And so I felt like this teacher who knew I was a believer, and I knew he was not a believer, his last name was Kanawati. And so as a high school dude, you can just do a whole lot with Kanawati. And so I even told him that he made it way too easy. But anyway, the point is, he, he obviously was not born here. And he believed that Jesus was a good teacher. But he was Islamic. And because of that, he believed a lot of other things. But I, I was intrigued by the fact that Mr. Kanawati believed that even though he didn't believe anything about Jesus that I believed, he believed that he was real, that he really existed, and that he was a good teacher. And so I would try to debate him, you know, not in class, but after class, and I would ask him questions. So... If he existed and he was a good teacher, he couldn't have been a very good teacher because you don't believe what he says. 
I mean, if he was a good teacher, I mean, even a legendary teacher, why would you not consider what he teaches? And if you will not consider what he teaches, then why is he good? And because I suck at math, I said, look, I don't question what you teach. I believe what you teach, and I'm trying to learn what you teach. I'm just really bad at it. And so I was trying to reason with him, and it didn't go anywhere, but I remember that, that real people in our society believe that Jesus is a legend. He existed in history, good teacher, you know. But, and so the option two is, is Jesus a liar? Is he a liar? Because if he says he's God and he's not, well, then he's a liar. And so many people in our society would stop short of saying that Jesus is God. But Jesus said he was God. And so by deduction, then he would be a liar. But nobody wants to say Jesus is a liar because what if he is powerful? Then I'd be calling somebody that's more powerful than me a liar. That would be dumb. And so they just add him to the pantheon of things that they pay tribute to. Is Jesus a liar? Third, is Jesus a lunatic? If there's a dude living in your neighborhood who thinks he is God, you most likely and rightly think he's nuts. Right? If I had a dude come up to me when I'm leaving the parking lot of Walmart and say, hey, I'm God, you want to talk for a minute? I'd say, no. Mm -mm. If he says he's God and he's not God, he's a nut. So the option is, is he a legend? Is he a liar? Is he a nut? Is he a lunatic? Or finally, is Jesus the Lord? If he's God, if he says he's God and he is God, then he's the Lord. Right? The Bible is clear here. The testimony of the Bible is clear that he is Lord. And so if you believe the Bible, Jesus is Lord. If you think that he is a good teacher, then you don't believe the Bible. If you believe that he says he's God and he's not, and he is a liar or a nut, you don't believe the Bible, because the Bible is clear that Jesus is the Lord. And and we see that because Jesus, Jesus fully identifies with God. Even when they accuse him in his trial, wink, wink, trial, he says, I am. You said it. I am. Jesus fully identifies with God. And so, here's where it gets 
difficult for us to understand because the baby in the manger is human. Like, born from a woman. Probably not a C-section. Like, born. And so, cute because all babies are cute, I think. Little pudgy feet and hands. And so this is that, that baby, a human body, a human body, a human mind. And it's important that this baby with the human body, human mind, human emotions, you know, he experienced joy and anger. He got sleepy. He was hungry. I'm not sure hunger is an emotion, but you get the picture. It's human. And I have been waiting a whole year for this because last Christmas, the Taylor family did not know what it was like to have a baby. But now, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head, and, you know, no, no crying he makes. That's right. It's a light! The baby is real. A real human baby. Human mind, human emotions. And this is, this is theologically essential for us because God came down. He came down in the flesh. And it is important that he identifies with us. Jesus fully identifies with us. He is familiar with our struggles. And it would be easy to say, of course. Of course he can say all these things because he's God. But he is fully man, fully a human. He knows struggles. He knows sorrow. He knows suffering. And some people might think, no fair, no fair, because in his, in his struggles, in his suffering, he knew that there was power through this suffering. And then I think to myself, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's true for us too. That same power that will give him strength in suffering is available to you and to me. And so he is familiar with our struggles, our sorrow, our suffering. You know, even the cross. He experienced real pain. Sweating drops of blood rarely happens in humans, but it is it happens when the stress is so great that capillaries just rupture and blood comes through the surface of the skin is sweat and I feel like I've been under a lot of stress at times in my life but I've never done that I've never had nails driven into my body I've shot a couple there by accident <laughs> but 
It's not the same. Wow. Y'all learn way too much. The baby in the manger is human, 100% fully human. However, also, the baby in the manger is the sinless Savior. And this is also essential to our beliefs, also essential doctrine in our faith, that the baby in the manger is the sinless Savior. And so, in a way, it just blows our minds. We have revelation by humiliation. You know, the sovereign creator becomes a slave of creation. Remember this? He was before this, this timeline started because he started it. But then he comes and he lives and he dies at the hands of one that he created. And so the creator becomes a slave of creation. You know, it was... Like Jesus, as he grew up with parents, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know, he obeyed his parents, but he made them. He made them. Remember the, uh, I forget, I think it was Cosby's skit, where um, he told his kid that when he had enough, he said, you do what I say or I'll take you out and I'll make another one just like you. Imagine that. Like, Jesus could do that. He made his parents and yet he obeyed his parents. He became humbled for our sake, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. This is the baby in the nativity. And so not only that, not just revelation by humiliation, but salvation by substitution. You know, the perfect son pays the price for sin. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So salvation by substitution. He took our place. The baby in the manger is the sinless Savior. Hmm. And so the reality is, he was born to die. Every parent in this room, could you imagine the, the depth of that? Could you imagine the, the privilege yet, the burden of being in Mary's shoes 
being in Joseph's shoes and knowing the reality of this child, this perfect child, who was born miraculously, but the intention of his birth was to die. I mean, that'll wreck your Christmas spirit right there, right? And he was uniquely qualified to die for sin. Uniquely qualified because he was one of us. But he was also God and sinless. And so he could be the sacrifice. And so that is why he came. A shameful death. A painful death. A cursed death. Cursed is the one who is hung on a tree. So we need to see this picture of the baby. And I mean, you think about it. This isn't normally the things that we think about because it doesn't like cheer us up but it is inevitable for us because of our sin to die that is that's how it goes Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death but and so that's true of of all of us but it wasn't true of Jesus because he had no sin but yet he died and though our future if left to our own devices our future would be death for sin but his future was he had no death in his future except as the sacrifice for his creation and so the result the result is that we are born again to live. We are born again. He gives us the opportunity to be born again just as it, because he forgives our sin. And so the substitution part of this, the results because of this child, because of this baby, his shame becomes our honor. He gives us the honor of being His, of being a part of His family, the honor of not being eternally dead. His shame becomes our honor. His pain becomes our joy. I've always had a hard time with that. That I have this picture that's framed that I, you know, I've had hanging in my office forever, and it's of you can see the the cross and Jesus hanging on the cross and there's this this person that is uh, is obviously dressed in modern clothes and he's kneeling looking up at the cross and it's it's obvious that the guy is representing a modern person looking up at the cross and we hung him there 
And I've had this, this difficulty thinking his pain becomes our joy. Because I don't really feel joy when I think about that I killed the sinless Christ child. That does not pet me up. But when I think about it on a deeper, in a deeper sense, that because of his pain that he, he willingly came to, to die for, that he sets us free from death. And because of that, and only because of that, we can be free. We can have eternal life. We can have a relationship with God. And this is the joy. And so, his curse becomes our blessing. And in all of these things, keep in mind that this was his plan. It didn't just happen by accident. His curse, he was intentionally cursed to be a blessing for us. And so the baby in the manger is human. The baby in the manger is the sinless Savior. And finally, the baby in the manger is the exalted Lord. It's got to be one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. He humbled himself became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, this is the coolest therefore in all the Bible to me. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so... The baby in the manger is the exalted Lord. This, in verse 9, God exalted him to the highest place. In the, the original, in the Greek, it, it looks like this. God super eminently exalted him. It's a big deal. Like he reigns in the utmost position there is no one above him and so in in life it seems that there's always somebody who outranks you every boss has a boss and then you get to the top of the company you say well who's the boss's boss well he answers to somebody he answers to the IRS well who's the IRS answer to well the people well who do the people answer to God. Well, you get to the top of the food chain and there is God. He answers to no one. He is the exalted Lord. And so, the highest place. God exalted him to the highest place. And so, he holds unending power. He holds power to save, he holds power to rule. And so, as Savior, He is Lord. And again, this, this verse, this passage, just does away with one of those, those irritating things 
in my mind when people say I will make him Lord. That's not how it works, dude. <laughs> it's already happened. I might submit to his lordship. I don't make him anything. He made me. He holds unending power. He deserves universal praise. Universal praise that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That pretty much covers all the knees, right? Every knee, even the knees on the angels that pieced out of heaven and went to hell. Those knees too, under the earth, those knees will bow. And I will bet you it's not because they want to. But it is because he holds unending power and he reigns in the utmost position that he will get universal praise. Not just the majority, not even a super majority. Every knee, every, every single knee. If you look down and you see knees, they're going to bow. And I even bet Lieutenant Dan, who didn't have any legs, bow. Every knee will bow. Every person, past, present, future. And I'm not even talking about the, the knee specifically, but I'm talking the person, the heart, will bow. And thus, he fulfills the ultimate purpose he fulfills the ultimate purpose and that ultimate purpose is where it ends to the glory of God the Father that is why we exist to bring him glory we say it as the descriptor of our church that we exist to bring God glory by making disciples who make disciples. His ultimate purpose to bring God glory. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so the question that we need to ask and the baby we need to see brings us to the decision that we need to make. It comes down to two choices. And it's very, very simple. The first choice is to reject Jesus as Lord. And if we make that decision as that is our choice... God has given us the, the free will to reject him as Lord. We reject, we reject his offer for forgiveness. We reject him. And what that does mean, though, is that we will still bow the knee. We just bow the knee then. And so the timing is the only thing that is up to us. We will bow. We just get to decide, is it now or then? 
And so if we reject Jesus as Lord, it brings with it eternal condemnation. As the Bible explains, as the Bible makes clear, eternal condemnation if we reject Jesus as Lord. But then the, the other choice is to revere Jesus as Lord. And if we revere Jesus as Lord, then we bow the knee now. We bow the knee today. We humble ourselves before him. We exalt him today. And that, of course, leads to eternal celebration. And so there's this, this choice, eternal condemnation or eternal celebration. Do we celebrate with him forever or are we condemned apart from him forever? C.S. Lewis, and I'll close with this. He says, What are we to make of Christ? There is no question of what we can make of him. It is entirely a question of what he intends to make of us. You must either accept or reject this story. And I think for us, if we are not careful, the Christmas story will be recreated around us. And if we don't pass on to the generation that comes behind us, Christmas really will be frosty and frozen and Santa and that's Christmas tis the season on your hands. You know, and that's to us to pass on to our children, the generations to come, what is Christmas? What is, what is the holidays? Let's come and put up our holiday tree and we will cook the holiday ham. We wish you a merry holiday. And the sad thing is, is our society has become so theologically bankrupt that they have become ignorant that they went from saying Christmas to holiday which is holy day and why is it holy? It's not because of a stupid tree. It's because this Christ child died on a tree and he is holy. Let's not miss it. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Would you stand with me? God, we come to you today grateful because you gave us a choice, a choice that you did not have to give us at all. But you chose to, to give us the choice to accept you as Savior or to reject you. And God, I pray in this room that you would, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, speak to our hearts and help us not to just think about being a fan or, or admitting that you exist, but it is about bowing our knee to your Lordship. 
And God help us to see that as the as the Bible describes, it is the crowning achievement of our existence to be adopted into your family and to be co-heirs with you forever. And that when we bow our knee and and humble ourselves before you, what we're doing is is we're putting away the things that will never work and accepting the only thing that will work. And so I pray, Lord, for anyone in this room or anyone that is listening who is who is debating, contemplating, stressing about this. Father, I pray that you would grind it into our soul and not allow us to be comfortable until we decide what to do with Jesus. Not that we have the power to make you, but God, I pray that you would give us the the mental acuity to, to have these thoughts and think through what it means for us to walk away from Christ. Lord, help us to run from the desire to redefine you to something that we can control. But Lord, for those who are in Christ, those who have bowed the knee, those who do know you personally, Lord, I pray that this would lead us to celebration, knowing that that you have conquered death, that you have control over nature and disease and, and everything that we worry about and stress over, that you own this. And so, Lord, help this, this Christmas to be a true celebration for the right reason and that it would be for your glory. And so in these moments that we have to, to make a decision, to take a step, Father, I pray that you would encourage us to do what brings you glory right now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.